Hi everyone, welcome to Such Good Feeling, where I get to talk to incredible creatives about the small moments in their lives that changed everything. Today's guest is just one of the most beautiful humans on the planet, as an extraordinarily brilliant songwriter, producer, and he's actually a walking work of art. Uh, Biff Stannard from Brighton, <laughs> how are you? Hello Steve, a uh, walking work of art, yeah that's not You the are first a walking time. work of art, every time I see <laughs> I, um, you. Uh, I know, there's, a, there's new ones all the time, yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's, but, you are, but it's all very tasteful though, everything's very tasteful. Thank you. It's all done by the same guy, yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, a lot of people with um, tattoos, it's like therapy, isn't it? So I've got to know the guy Jack very, very well. Yeah, and uh, as I choose things to get done, then he draws them up, and we do them. We, we sort of choose, we even choose a record, an album to to play. Yeah, and then while he's doing the work, we play a favorite record and discuss it. I mean, I even bring music and talk it into that. I can't stop. So it's been a nice relationship, actually. Yeah, I love it. But it's sort yeah. of like a tattoo Wikipedia, isn't it, on your body? Because there's like yeah. little bits of everything you've done. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. There's all bits of lyrics. There's lyrics of my own on there in latin and that was a bit silly but i really like it and um like they've got the 17 dog there of course is, you uh, have yeah yeah i've got all those bits and then lyrics i love from other songs and things i loved as a kid and the microphone yeah that is the actual microphone that's there that i've recorded hundreds of songs hundreds on so songs yeah on. it's just a way of just i don't know it's just it's addictive once you get one that you can't stop Absolutely. How are you, Steve? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Biff's talking to us good. from his beautiful studio in Brighton. Lovely, sunny, sunny Brighton. Brighton. It is sunny today as well, It's actually. gorgeous today. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very lovely. rarely not sunny in Brighton. That's true. Um, so uh, I, I love to start with these things to go back sort of just from a kind of okay. musical side. Before you started to actually even buy your own music, you know, what was your first yeah. recollection of, of music as a kid? It, uh, so music, well, I'm the youngest of four. And they were all music fans, but my sisters are a lot older than me. So I'm sort of 55. My sisters are in their early 70s. Sorry, girls, if they listen. And so there was a genre, so it's a different genre and time of music they were playing. So, so I was getting carpenters and all stuff like that. And then my brother was only three years older. He was a punk. So I was literally getting Sinatra and crooners from my mom, bloody Roger Whittaker and stuff, you know, from my mum and dad. For my sisters, I was getting disco and Mark Bolan and Bowie and stuff like that, and and sort of late sixties Hollies and stuff. And for my brother, I was getting like Polystyrene and the Ruts and all these amazing on the fringe punk bands, all at the same time. So wow. I guess that's why I like every kind of music, really. That's so, that's really yeah, eclectic. It was though. everywhere. It was everywhere. And I know when I was born, there was Sinatra on, which my mum's favourite was was Frank, mm. and he was on a few more as well. We played songs by him, but um, so I kind of grew up with with great voices, a lot of Karen Carpenter and a lot of Frank Sinatra when I was really small. That's amazing. Yeah. Just the best, some of the best <laughs> songs ever written, and two of the best yeah, voices I mean, in know, the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I distinctly remember um, what was what was the song? Only just begun. That one. Oh, yeah, That's, yeah. I can remember that when I was really small. Like my mum playing that on repeat. And then my sister's just playing a lot of disco music. Yeah. So disco and punk, just at the same time. It's just kind of weird. Love it. Loads Love it. of ABBA. Explain, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> ABBA <Absolutely>. was everywhere. <laughs> and what about when you start buying your own music? I mean, I often say on this that for people now, you know, the idea of the music that you had being the music that you owned really back then. Yeah. But, you know, when you start yeah. picking up little seven-inch singles or whatever, what, what, where were you? headed three state three stages to it i can remember the first record i was bought 
I was four and it was going to the zoo. Right. I remember the name of the woman so going to the zoo you can come to that was that was okay. the first and on vinyl seven inch orange label so I guess that was who was that epic that being epic yeah uh so even then I remember just being obsessed <laughs> with the stuff like that uh and then the first record I bought because I heard it actually the first record I bought was Devil Gate Drive by Susie Quattro none, none of them are, none of them are cool I'm not no, one of those people good, that's going to swerve be. it they some people swerve it I'm sure and they say like oh, yeah, mine was Shawadi Wadi <laughs> under the moon of love so don't worry <laughs> I may I mean we're really fun. we play Shawadi Wadi in the house quite a lot actually there you go yeah right um, so, so it was Devil Gate Drive and I, I was obsessed with that song as just as a really small kid and then the third record I bought because I liked the sound of it because I couldn't figure out, this is when I knew, because I, I wrote my first song when I was six. I can still sing it. And But the first record I heard was um, Can You Feel the False by Real Thing. Yeah. And the fir- I don't know how well you know that song, but the first 40 seconds of it are still one of the best 40 seconds, one of the greatest intros to a record ever. Mm. Do, 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 do all the synths and the brass and the way everything syncopates and then it goes from synthesizers into... And it kicks yeah. on. And I just remember hearing that, okay, 11, 12, and just having to know what, how they did it. Uh, and I didn't really listen to the song. I just listened to the intro over and over. So much I was like, what, what's that? What's making that sound? And then from then on, I was as obsessed sonically with how things, how records sounded. So I went and bought that. Uh, and then it just went crazy. And uh, I think at 11 or 12, I, I, rung the, I run the record club at school when I was 11, the vinyl record club at my secondary school in Kent. Yeah. And, and, what, and, what, yeah. and when you say you run that, what, what, what was your duty You'd, in that? People would order them. And for every 10 that I sold, I got one free. Cool. And the first double album I got was Saturday Night Fever, obviously. Um, and it's my friend Nisha, my, dear, my dearest old friend. And he helped me run it. And so kids would just come in to, in our music block, which was quite a progressive music block at the time. And there was three, I'm just going to go off talking, Steve. Sorry, I'm going to carry on with those stories. So there's three rooms. There was the two big music rooms where you learned music and you were taught. And there were three rooms, the Beethoven room, the Chopin room, and the Schubert room. And I used to run it from the Beethoven room. And there was a little vinyl club and there'd just be a list and somebody would go in and they'd say, oh, they want this, they want that, the other, they want Hunky Dory or they want something like that. And then you'd order it. It would take about three weeks to come and they'd give you $2.99 or something. And then you'd give them the thing, tick it off. As soon as you get 10 ticks on this form, you can get a free album yourself. So I'm like, it's in. So Loved that's it. how my record collection started. I love so it. Started, I was an early starter. I love me. it. And what about, you know, visually people that you were, you know, sort of, admiring whether it's on tv or you know who's the posters on the wall what are the pop stars that you're in love so, with when you were sort of a teenager so it would have been it was really it was really interesting so going back to what i was saying about this eclectic mix of music so i loved the jacksons and the monkeys so i like kind of boy bands early boy bands bay city rollers actually had a massive enormous post with bay city rollers mm. that my next door neighbor kim gave me that was in the house so i remember yeah what was the first i just i just remember everything leading up to seeing bowie yeah that's very common isn't it i just remember seeing bowie and and 
Hunky Dory was the first Bowie record I got, which I think is a good one to get first. And I was so unbelievably obsessed with him. I used to draw him and and have posters of him up on the wall and stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was yeah it started with Bowie, and then because I had this this you know, this eclectic mix of, of music, disco and clubby stuff and kind of super pop, and then this punk. I always used to think I was a bit weird because I liked both so much. Mm. And then in towards my mid to late teens, Joy Division and New Order happened. Blue Monday happened, which you know if you were to, my favorite record of all time is always and will be Blue Monday. Mm. Um, because that was like, oh, okay. So, because I loved Joy Division and I loved all this stuff. And then New Order made this kind of indie disco record. And I was like, this is it. This is, this is, and then I was, that was it. I was off. That was, I'd found my lane, Sonic, of what I wanted to do. And I guess some of my music kind of sounds like that now. I don't know. Yeah, sort of, yeah, I'm not afraid of guitars. No, no, an <laughs> electronic punk is, is, is a good thing. And things like the New Order thing, I mean, I remember oh. when I first heard that, I I probably did hear it. I didn't hear it on the radio. I did hear it in a club. It might have been a – I was very wow. young. But, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it was the first time I heard it, it was very, very loud. I mean, what? Yeah. Uh, presumably you're, as a teenager you're going out and you are going to clubs and stuff. Well, my brothers were roadies, so I, was, I saw The Clash when I was 14. So Yeah. So, you're seeing, so that, was that one of your yeah. first first gigs, the class? Yeah, I was in through the toilet windows. Yeah, that's Hammersif, amazing. Hamasif yeah. yeah, I remember seeing him going with him to see. It was the Cure was supporting Susie and the Banshees, and then John McGough, who had problems. Then anyway, before he died, he wasn't well. So then Robert Smith stepped in to play for the Banshees wow. and the guitar. Okay. So I was at yeah. that gig, really young at that. And yeah, so I was just seeing really amazing bands at a really young age. I shouldn't really have been there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it started, everything started really young for me. And what about clubs? What's the sort of the introduction into going into that kind of dance music world? That was, that was, I left home, a lot of shit at home when I was younger. So I left home really young with my mum's encouragement. And I left home at 16, actually. Uh, thought the streets were paved with gold and moved up to live in a squat and went clubbing from there. I'm just trying to think. Uh, this is the thing I was listening to other people trying to remember the names of the clubs. I mean, it would have been heaven, obviously. Yes. I just remember the sound being, still is amazing in, in heaven. Um, uh, the, the tiny little clubs, little gay clubs in Surrey Keys I used to go to. And so it started off quite regional, I guess, apart from heaven. So you'd start the smaller ones and then you, you'd go up on a Saturday night and go to heaven and park on the on the river and, and, and go to heaven. And I remember, um, I, I, first of all, I went to heaven, I was 14. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We won't go too much into all that, but I remember I used to tell my mum I was out and then we'd wait for the milk train home. So we'd sleep on the station at Charing yeah, yeah. Cross and then get the train back home and, and I was just like, yeah, I was at my mate Terry's all night or something like that. But um, I remember going there really, really young. Um, so yeah, and, and it was I was a yeah, I was a big clubber. And then as everything escalated, I ended up you know Spectrum and all the everything you know Turn Mills, all the ones you could DTPM, all the ones Trade was a massive one for me. Yeah, it was a massive club sort of Saturday into Sunday yeah. afternoon. <laughs> so. and, and at this stage, are you try you know have you got this ambition that you know you want to be making the records that you're hearing yeah um i always wrote i wrote songs from a really young age i don't know whether 
it's like the thing George Moroder said, isn't it? He never thought he could actually do it because of his circumstances and stuff. So I never knew I, I always knew I wanted to do music, but I also loved dancing as well. So I used to be, I mean, I used to be a go-go dancer. It's quite, mm-hmm. I've mentioned it a lot of times in heaven at 16. So that's how I was making my money. I bought my first synth from dancing in a cage in tennis shorts. Which on was? Stage in heaven. Which was? Uh, a Juno 106, which is over which there. Which is still there, right? yeah. Good which one. Which we won't want to we be on that. Yeah, there um, you go. I, yeah, I cherish it. Um, so, yeah. So, what, so, yeah, we bought the Juno 106 from that. Still my favourite synth, actually. It does Can't everything, really. doesn't it? I kind it? of started with the best one, didn't I? I, yeah, mean, I, had the yeah. Ju- I did the Jupiter and did all the stuff that, but you can't really beat. You can make any still noise the one on when it. Pe- no, if somebody comes in the studio, well, that's the one they want to play with. They don't yeah. want to touch any of the others. They just want to play with the, you know, the 106. Mm. So I started, started off with a, with a great synth. So I, yeah, I always wanted to do stuff, but I just never thought I'd be able to. And then I started okay. kind of meeting these cool kids and then, I was a bit younger than them, but there was like, boy George was around and I knew Lee Bowery and these kind of cool trendy kids and stuff. So I kind of then thought, oh, there's a way in here. If I hang around with them enough and wear the right, the right clothes and mm. take, the, <laughs> take the right drugs and, take the, and do the whole thing, I'll, I'll, I'll somehow find the way in. So in the middle of all this enjoyment and being away from home and, and a lot of shit at home, I, it was a quite hedonistic time, which I guess that era of, of dance music was. And, uh, yeah, and then I was dancing away, and I remember at a, a dance audition for, I can't, this is so, Faith, Hope and Charity was a band that Mr. Oh, Tom Watkins had. I remember had. them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- I was at an audition to be one of the, the dancers for that. Okay. Um, probably a bit, yeah. yeah. And I remember that's when I first saw Tony Mortimer when he was 17. We didn't, I didn't chat to him. I remember seeing him there. That was Danny and all, you know, I remember that all, they're all in, uh, in that band. And uh, so that's how I, I did it. And then I just was always writing songs, always writing lyrics. I've got all my pads. I've kept all my old lyric pads and stuff over it. And like a lot of writers do write from a really young age and my diaries mm. and stuff like that. And just went for it. And then, then kind of got my break. I wasn't, I mean, I was DJing. I started dipping my toe in DJing and, and bits and pieces and I kind of got my break at 23, 24 really just what you know met Tom Watkins by a really bizarre way which we won't go into and then he uh, we became a, a thing a couple and then he mentioned about putting this band together and then when he mentioned Tony I was like I know him yeah. <laughs> and I, I know Tony uh, and then he'd written some songs and I said well I, I write songs as well and and then that's when I was thinking, I'd like to, this is production. I'd like to put this together. I know, I'd know exactly what to do with that. And uh, I remember collating all his favourite songs, and then Tom saying, which I think uh, Phil Harding had said to you recently. Um, Tom had said, well, "There's only two of you. We need four. Mm. And um, yeah, I was that person in in Tom's car driving around Walthamstow looking for these this this a supposedly great singer called Brian. Yeah. And so it, was, it must have looked really dodgy. So it was just driving around with Tony in the, in the passenger seat, driving around Walthamstow for a day, looking for this lad called Brian. I'm literally calling out the car, like, oh, Brian, do you want to come over and everything? Do you want to 
come and do an audition, come and meet Tom and stuff. And he's like, well, yeah, only if my mate Terry can come. That's literally how Terry got in the band. <laughs> so he got so there's me with these 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 four lads in the car, John as well. He got went back to see Tom and it, and it kind of went from there. And, and then there was a, a period of a year or so of being mentored by Tom Watkins about the music industry. So I went I went straight from kind of not really. I mean, I had all these songs and I had all this stuff, but I went straight from like a few weeks into knowing Tom, having dinner with like Trevor Horn and Seal and Brian Adams and all these people wow. and the wonderful Jill Sinclair Dessa. Yeah. So I, I, I was really in at the deep end with all these people. So I went also from that and then also meeting Phil Harding and Ian Kerno. So I was down at that studio. So I was literally pig and shit. I was just like completely <laughs> like, this is just, I really want some of this. But I also realised um, you got to work hard to, I was figuring out how, how, how to do it. So at the same time, I was thinking about this is production and I had my, my synth and my stuff like that. So oh, should I play my ideas or should I... When you were someone like Ian and Phil have been so successful, how do you get in? How do you sort of go, oh, can I have... You know, you're on their shoulder. I'm, I must have been so annoying. I was just on their shoulder all the time watching what they were doing. And it's just finding that moment when you go, can I just, can I just move that hi-hat? It's going to make yeah. it less pea soup and more like this and make yeah. it a bit more like this record. And it slowly became more and more. And they were great. They were really great in, in, in helping me put my ideas together. And E17 went from me um, going on tour with them and doing, looking at seeing the whole spectrum of, of how you put a boy band together. And about slowly steering more towards production and songwriting because that's what I really wanted to do. And, and Tom was really encouraged that so i was really lucky really it's such a maverick it's just a... and was so was the first time you were actually in a proper studio with phil and it was that your sort of first time that you went into a studio no i totally bullshitted my way into remixing so this is ah, before i met matt right yeah I t yeah so i totally completely bullshitted my into but i can't remember who it i think she was called diane young she was a a and r woman at sony yeah and yeah right and i bullshitted my way into doing I used to cut my and my remix name was called surprisingly butch which is ridiculous now <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> maybe if you saw me in the street not if you met me for a millisecond and um <laughs> and uh I remixed the light of the world by Kim Appleby I think right really badly really really badly and I remember there was an Oscar I remember just mode there was one of those Oscar synthesizers in the studio I even met Anna and uh, Steve Pemberton was the um, engineer. There was still no well. And uh, and I was like, Steve, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I was so confident yeah, in the meeting and the, all the bullshit. I was really confident. And then the door shut, you know, like, you know, that lovely vacuum sound when the mm. studio door shuts. Like, mm. And it's really quiet. And I was like, shit, I don't know what to do. Um, it's all right. I, don't, I think it may be online somewhere. It was released, it came out and everything. Wow. And I just remember, <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, and at the time I really loved um, Discuss, who did all those remixes of Portrayed and stuff. Mm. And I remember thinking, I really like them. And I knew the bass sound was done on the, oh, but it was at the Matrix 1000. Mm. And I even knew the number uh, 129 was the bass sound. So I started there, started with my tempo and just, yeah, winged it from there, really. So I'd done bits and pieces, did a few like that. So I was called Surprising Bush. Then I was called Miss World. Can't remember who I, I can't remember what I was doing then. And then 
then I met Tom, and so so I went from really bad remixes into then learning how to do it properly. By yeah, but at least you pros. Kind of, yeah, you'd been in you'd been in a bit, but actually, I love what <laughs> yeah. you I love what you say there about, um, and actually what Phil said as well. You know, we're talking about that thing of you know just being a bit of a sponge around these incredible oh, people. Yeah. And actually oh, ask, yeah. ask, asking I'm... questions. Yeah, I think we all are. Yeah. But, mm. but like asking questions is good. To, you know, don't be annoying, but actually do ask questions because yeah. it's an apprenticeship and yeah, yeah. it will all come in handy. And, all, and the people that you're watching have been in the same situation as you once where they were asking <laughs> this is, questions. Yeah, this is the thing. And it's all about giving back. It's that weird thing. Some people get a bit sort of selfish of it all. But luckily, I've, I've met really generous people, including yourself, over my career. And even now, when I work with these, that, that, you know, these, not cool kids, but the young cool kids that are really making hot records out. So I'm still lucky to be doing it 30 years later, mm. you know. And um, there's a guy called Lewis Thompson, who's an amazing writer at the moment. He was here, and I'm, I'm on his shoulder because I'm just like, what's that plug in? Yeah. What did you? Yeah. <laughs> no, God, and I literally like that. And I've got a couple of stations in my studio, and then. And they're, they're really generous. They say it's this, that, and the other. And I did this to it, and to get that, I did that. And so it's still going on. I'm still yeah. like on someone's shoulder, no matter who they are, because everyone's got something to give. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I'll give my experience to them because they're, the, you know, my knowledge or whatever it is to to them, you know, because it's a minefield, isn't it? All the other stuff. Making the records and writing the songs is easy. We we all know it's the other stuff that's really difficult. Yeah, it's tricky. With so, with, with E17, hmm. did you? I mean, was there a kind of a conversation at any point about what the vision was for the sound? Um, cocaine pop, I there would say. So House of Love was just an intense, we wanted to bring dance music into it. And I remember, I remember there was a great demo that Robin Goodfellow had done of mm. Deep and House of Love and then giving it to, to, to Phil and Ian. And I just, I do remember going, I oh, know, faster, more, give it more, quicker. And I remember... There's like an acid line. There's a sort of not an actual three or three, but there's an acid line in it. I wanted that in there as well. So I was it's just me on their shoulder. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering now talking to you. I might have been a bit irritating. So Phil, if you do listen, I'm really sorry if I was a bit overly keen and um, suggesting too many ideas. But to be fair, they they they, I I don't know how they managed to make those E17. E17 were the most rock and roll band, but more than Spice Girls, maybe in a different way, but. So rock and roll. The boy bands I tend to work with are always quite full on, actually. Fire these seventeen. But wasn't so. it uh, as well? It was almost like a, a, a sort of a because obviously at the time there was the you know had the take that's and the boy zones and stuff. It felt like the E seventeen yeah. were the sort of punk boy band. <laughs> yeah. Well, we nearly up until right until the last minute because London Records were, were quite a. They took risks, London Records, which is why they were brilliant. Mm. There was about three or four weeks when the, the first E17 album was going to be called E17 and Boogie, mm. literally to take the piss out of Take That and Party. Wow. That's what it was called. That's wow. what me and Tony wanted to call it. Right. Wanted to call it E17 and Boogie. And that we, it was actually going to be called that. And then we just, then it, then everyone bottled it. Because it got serious because it looked like they were going to make some waves with it. So they changed it to Walthamstow at the last minute. So Which yeah, E17 perfect. and Boogie would have, yeah, but E17 and Boogie would have been great. No, no. <laughs> but no, it wouldn't, but it would have made me laugh. But I think they, but, yeah, they did it with the music though, didn't they? And they, everyone just yeah. knew that and they just kind of just exploded out and with that and the steam. And there's, yeah. so, there's so many Tom's great genius. tunes. Yeah, Tom's genius was like realising that with every great 
band, you need the antithesis to them. And he said, I could take that of this and they're a bit oiled up and in little shorts and with Nigel, it was all a bit like that. Mm. Great. But let's do the bad boy version. And I was like, bang up for that. I always like to do the bad boy versions or the bad girl versions yeah, of, of everything, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that might be my sort of misspent youth. But, but, so uh, so yeah. what's the, what's the, I so said the, obviously E17 is, it's hugely successful mm. and that's your kind of your very really your first thing and yeah i started writing with them on the second album so i'm, I'm actually dan's exec producer on the first album but i think that's because i was everywhere and then all over it kind of thing and and tom got the credit for me but i was involved through the whole process and and again like so the sponge learning everything mm. from when the, i was at the string sessions i was going on the i was driving them to do promotional stuff at radio stations i was doing everything really road mm. managing them doing the whole thing. And then the second album, I sat down and wrote songs with, with Brian and Tony and things like Steam and all that sort of, yeah. that's where it all started. So that's, and that was with, with Matt Rowe. I'd met Matt Rowe yes. by then. Yeah. So. That, cool. Matt. And what's, what's the first thing you do? I mean, obviously that you're starting to get some great notoriety and, and people are kind of coming for you. What, where, yeah. what's your first thing away from E17? So, East, um, so then Tom had this crazy idea of forming a gay boy band called Two Thirds. Yeah. Which was, but even then he only said two of them are gay and not three, which is now sounds crazy, doesn't it? And I was the silent fourth member. I was Biff the cartoon. There was a cartoon to me. Which yeah. funny enough, I've got like a weird cult following like these things do. Yeah. Somebody, some, some random fan, I'm just trying to find it on my phone now. Some random fan just sent me the cartoon to my face thing this okay. morning. Nice. so that so i did that and that was the first thing that i kind of crafted with matt the whole project how it could be i, I kind of did a tom i guess tom let me put the whole thing together and then sadly halfway through that me and tom went our separate ways in quite a drastic way and all it was all a bit messy so that kind of fell apart and then um he in typical tom mm -hmm fashion uh negated my publishing deal so i did a five grand i don't want to talk about stuff like that actually but i did this five grand publishing deal with him and he was like he did the class i mean this is what i mean he was so brilliant he was like you'll never work in the music industry again mm. i'm going to call everybody you know just went on a classic tom rants that uh, uh you know so many of them are, are gone down in pop history and um and i was like oh shit okay and then the next thing, you know, me and Matt, would, we'd, we'd finally got this little studio in the strong room in East London. And uh, we, I came across Jimmy Somerville, London Records. Again, going back to Tracy, he had faith in what I'd done because he'd really liked, he's obviously seen, seen I was capable of stuff. And they threw uh, the Jimmy Somerville project to us. But before that, loads and loads of remixes, which is where me and Matt started a remix called Biff and Biff Memphis. Memphis. Yes. Absolutely yeah. legendary Thank stuff. You. Yeah, yeah. The first yeah. thing we ever did was huge. Completely. Was it? Was it? Was it? Evoke? The first thing you did was it? The Evoke mix. Uh, it was. It was Evoke. Yeah, in spirit. Yeah, I love that one. Oh, yeah, remember that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. That one's that one's got a lot of love. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then of course you get your hands on New Order as well, which is, <sighs> oh, mate, that was about the tenth one we did. And these are back in the days where I do. I think it's interesting for people listening to this to realise how ridiculous the money was in the nineties, right? So. That, you know, Brothers in Rhythm, I'm not asking, you know, but mm. we were getting, so we didn't really know what we were doing, but our first remix was like number one, big, big dance hit. 
and people like Paul Oakenfold were praising us and stuff like that. And we were getting like 10 grand a mix, mm. a mm. remix. Mm. And it would take us a day and we were doing two or three a week. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, can you imagine that now? And um, so we thought, well, God, we're pretty big balls. This is kind of amazing. And then about, yeah, about three or four months in, the New Order thing came. So And it was literally um, Pete Tong, because New Order had gone to, had mm. been bought by, by London Records again. And Pete Tong at London, FFI, said, um, just pick what song you want to remix. So I was like, new, uh, Blue Monday, and he was like, no, no, apart from Blue Monday. So we did Touch by the Hand of God, so, and that was just amazing. And we got the tapes, and you can hear them arguing on the tape, and you can hear Barney counting in, and you can hear, it's just, oh, so amazing. So we put a lot of effort and love into into that remix, and that like I, I think people said to you before, it was I think it was fourteen minutes long as yeah. well, but we, really but long, we, all but over we, ten minutes. But we all did that then, didn't we? You know that's yeah. why you know we get you know Dave and I get sort of a lot of people say, oh, you know it's twelve fourteen minutes, but it's like yeah, but you know we could yeah. do you could fit it on a twelve inch, and also you wanted to you it was yeah. almost like a love affair, especially when you were doing yeah. something that you really loved. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and and I, and I love how you talk as well about this joy of, and it's quite hard now because people can just go on Reddit and go, new order stems, download, yeah. done. But then, you yeah. know, the actual oh, thing no. of receiving a multi-track yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, going, yeah. you know, seeing a, a thing on the track list that just says Barney and then yeah. oh, turning, it, yeah. turning it up. It's quite hard, yeah. I think, now to make people appreciate it's, how special that was. It's absolutely magical. And you can hear them arguing or arguing creatively, you know. Mm. And not, it's, it was just fantastic. And there was we had lots of things like that and lots of tapes. I mean, if, I'm sure if you went through Spice Girl two inches, you'd hear, <laughs> I mean, every take of Mel B just like, fuck, before she started. Yeah. Um, it's just, just ridiculous. But, yeah, there was, so, there was a lot of... Um, off microphone banter going on that's probably still on tape. I love that, don't you? Isn't that brilliant? I, that that's I love still, it. I absolutely love it. still it. exists. And also yeah. not to, 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 to just sort of cut in on your, the Jimmy thing, because what was great about Jimmy is, you know, some beautiful mm. writing on that record, I think, especially by Thank your you. side. Um, yeah, that's, and, yeah, that's good, that, isn't it? And, yeah. and, it, um, and it, I think it was a very, like, it's really interesting looking at some of Jimmy's stuff now through modern eyes, yeah. because it was very, mm. you know... Very brave at the time, but I mean, Age was, of Consent was a massive record for me as well. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sort of my coming out record. Really. Yeah, still it a was fantastic record. But it was still very commercial. I mean, it was incredibly yeah. important and and very, you know, sometimes mm. in elements, you know, when later on with for a friend and stuff, it's quite dark. But you know, yeah. he he sometimes gets you. Everyone remembers Jimmy for like the big great disco songs, yeah, which is fantastic. But yeah. there's a side of him writing wise that is just so beautiful. There's certain artists like that that don't get the credit they deserve. Jimmy's definitely one of them for so many reasons. Um, there's not it's like electronic music. Everyone says about oh it's this that and the other, and people never mention Jean-Michel Jarre. I can remember being ten with with a cornflakes box, a Weetabix box, a silly cat, and pretending they were pretending to be him, just wanting and pretending to be him so badly with his huge Hitachi headphones on. But he seems to be just detached from the fact that he was anything. It's all that. It's Gary Newman. It's RMD. It's blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, hang on. No, no. There's Jean-Michel Jarre was probably the, and Kraftwerk are the two most important ones. Mm. It's interesting how certain artists, they kind of get just pushed to one side. But you're right, Jimmy, from a songwriter, politically, everything about it is so important mm. and still is. You know, I think it's, it's, um, yeah, he's a nice. I keep. I often see him actually. Yeah, often whizzing around in Brighton, bless him. 
Yeah, still amazing. Still sounds fantastic. Oh, he does a still. works on a a show that I work on called Eighties Classical, and he's he sort of does the comes in and comes yeah. out like a massive pocket rocket, and yeah, know, the energy of an eighteen year old still. Yeah, and yeah. the voice is still there. I mean, funny enough, I hope he's, I mean, if he's listening, he'll never laugh. But talk about surprisingly butch. He's a tough cookie, that one. Oh yeah. You know, when you meet him, he's a right little. Do you know what I mean? And then he just sings like this angel. But yeah. But he's he's that that guy's got. He's as tough as they come. He literally comes out like come. a prize fighter, like Rocky yeah, 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 at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the fight. It's, yeah, uh, it's absolutely extraordinary. It's, the energy. It's, it's it incredibly takes. visceral, isn't it? The way he approaches stuff. Yeah, they were good sessions. I enjoyed doing that record. So uh, let's let's fill in the gap. There's there's a bit of a gap there, but let let's fill in the yeah, gap between sorry, between. No, that's no, cool. This is I love this. This is what this is all about. <laughs> but look, how let's go from how do you get from there to bumping into Mel B in a studio <laughs> where she literally accosts you when she's doing a showcase? She literally did. Um, so I there's so there was an artist called Maria Rowe that Chris Herbert managed. Oh, who did then, uh, sexual, who, who, right? Sexual, there. I produced sexual. Yeah, yeah. That, that was me. And, that was me and Matt. That was that. Here's a tangent. That was when at Psalm, yeah. And that was when I, I think I, I think oh god, it got ridiculous the money. But I remember trying to get Paul, the engineer. I think I may have offered him up to five hundred quid to play me. Confide in me because you've just been in there. Really? Because I've been a Carly fan since the beginning. You know I have. Yeah. I just so happened to, just so happened to be my mate and make our records down. But, but I, yeah, I remember, <laughs> I think it was, it was Paul. He was the engineer, maybe been three. It was, we were in this big grand room doing this Maria record. And I just remember, I just knew that you'd just finished. Yeah. We finished confiding yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I honestly, I was trying to, I seriously, I was trying to bribe him to play it to me. <laughs> and he was really smug. He was, he's lovely, but he was really like, he was like, <laughs> no. You know, cause I, and then I, but I knew then it would be, re- I knew it was fucking good. I could read his body language. Right. He knew, I knew it was special then. So that made it even more frustrating. Oh my God. So, I, never you know, knew I actually, that. Was, right. I used to try and bribe engineers to hear other people's songs. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, weird, I didn't, he never played it. So that, oh, really? Yeah. Because I mean, oh, no, he wouldn't play it to me. Most of the time at Psalm, we all just used to jump, run into each other's rooms at any time and say, "What are you up to?" I, know, I was still a sort of a newbie then. Oh, I wasn't really yeah. a Psalm boy then. I think yeah. it was our first time in Psalm, so yeah. we were still we weren't quite as. I think I yeah. think I tried bribing Lola as well, but she wouldn't either. So okay. I tried everything, but you know. No, I got to hear it in the end. Still my favourite record. Um, Thank you. So yeah, so we did, so we did this song called "Sexual," which was which was kind of cool. It did all right. I think the remix of that did well. And then I was going for a meeting in Noma Studios to meet Jason Donovan. Isn't it amazing how all these things mm-hmm. come together? So I was meeting Jason Donovan. Um, so many meetings back then at Noma Studios in West London. And I remember a few weeks before, Chris had mentioned some girl band he was putting together. And I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool and everything. And at that time, you're offered so much stuff. So many, it's hard to figure out what you want to do. And, you know, and, uh, but I hadn't, I hadn't known about this band called Touch that, that he'd got this project. And so I went to see Jason, who was charming and all. You know, and I came out of this huge room where Jason had just been sitting on the floor in this huge room. And and then in the corridor and this and just this broad leads accent literally going like who are you, blah 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 blah, which is what they she interrogated me on the spot, jumped on my back. Once I said the producer, she just grabbed me, like a piggyback thing, and she said turn around and she's as she was on my 
back sort of guided me to tell me where this room was because I she'd asked what I did and I'd said I'd done st- I think they loved Steam by E17 and she immediately started singing it or something and as we walked in she goes this is Bearfee did Steam da, 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 da. and it was so they, I don't know it's just that weird thing it was this is cheesy it wasn't a site <laughs> it was we just fell in love we just clicked yeah from that second to a point where Chris got everyone else in the room to leave apart from me and the girls and, and him and, and, and his dad, Chris's dad. And it, and that, that's, it was honestly like, I can't, I, yeah, I've never, I'll never experience it again. It was just like magical. It's like a love affair really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was also, incredible. And also again, a testament of something that doesn't, obviously in the last year and a half, it's been more difficult, but I mean, even before yeah. that, something that doesn't happen so much anymore, which is lots no. of creatives being under one roof and the fact that yeah. you happen to just be there for something else. Yeah, it's just complete stars aligning. I mean, it there's really a possibility was. you may have ended up together anyway. I think but... so, because Chris wanted me to, to do it, so we probably would have, but this was such a nice way for it to have happened. And there was such an amazing chemistry. And I remember we, we because we were doing kind of quite well, we, we, had, we, we had the flip one of those mercury mobile phone we know we thought we were so cool it was fucking ridiculous and then i remember just ringing i remember ringing matt afters going oh my god i've just met this amazing this most amazing band this girl band he's like oh great okay yeah yeah, let's do it let's do it let's do it because matt sort of was just he was the geek or he was Mm. in our relationship he was the kind of you know the fingers Mm. and i was it's often more often than not he'd be like yeah let's do it and then within two weeks they came in and then we had this amazing three days where we wrote, you know, Wannabe, To Become One and Feed Your Love, which was released last month. Just, so, just not, yeah. In three days. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, and we're, we're still, we're still lovers now, you know, we're still really good friends now and very fond of each other, which is amazing. Isn't it? It's like 26 it- years later. I mean, initially, I know you've described them in, di- in different ways, obviously all with lots of yeah. love, but using words like whirlwind and things like that. I mean, yeah, when the yeah. five of them came in, I mean, you're really good at, um, I've been around you and you've done it, you're really, really good at just getting information from people. And it, you know, it genuinely right. felt that... That's how I write songs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah, genuinely yeah. felt like, and I think you've said this before, you know, that the, the process of, you know, Wannabe was a conversation that just turned into yeah. a song. Yeah, Wannabe was based on my fear, fear fear of their energy and their force of nature as a gay man, mm. let alone how a straight man would feel. Because I used to love how they would, how straight men would just wither at their, their energy, just, you know. And so I was obsessed with, I guess it's a kind of feminism, but I've never really, at the time I didn't realise it was. I guess it was... I guess I was obsessed with what that that power that they had, and and I wanted to write about it. For I just, you know, right from the beginning, I thought I want to write like a punk song about how these girls make make men feel. I think actually, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I just used to listen to all the things they said, like the Ziggy Ziggars and all the stuff and their relationship and how unbelievably tight they were. Whereas they were sort of put together as in there was sort of audition, but then very, very quickly they became something completely separate of that. They became five really close close friends, a bit like Little Mix, really. 
um, they start and just kind of manufacturers thing, but very quickly become a very self-contained unit that don't give a fuck about managers, producers, or anything. It's just them and their decisions. Mm. And that was really that 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 the genesis of that mainly starting with Jerry and Mel B, and then it spread into the others. That started really early on. That was there probably before I met them. Right. So the fact that they were managed and put together was irrelevant before they even released the record personally. Yeah, yeah. So I just tapped into that. I'm just a listener. I just listened. It was so entertaining. And one with Wannabe, I mean, what was the... Yeah. How did it actually start? Did it start as an idea? Did it come from, obviously, the story, but did you have an idea of the groove of it? or what, Matt, how did Matt it... had that... So, yeah, so we had an MPC 3000. I haven't got that here. I actually did have it. I sold it recently. Had an MPC 3000, an ADAT, and the Juno, yeah. and that's all we had, right. and Cubase. Really shit, shit first. Was it C-Lap? Might even been C-Lap. No, Cubase. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And we had, he had, Matt, Matt had been uh, the keyboard player in a band called Innocence, which is uh, this kind of Oh, cool, yes. I remember but, that, yeah, 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 he yeah. was keyboard player in Innocence. So he had some great signs and ideas and had some really good drum samples that he probably nicked from them. And so he built up this the loop and everything. And I had this obsession with Greece and the, the chord progression of Summer Loving. That's mm-hmm. how Wannabe sort of, sort of started doing mm. dun, 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 mm. that client, the climb. Mm. So I wanted to do some, which I still do when I write a lot of songs, especially pre courses. I like pre- things just to go up and up and up and then feel like they're going up forever. Yeah. Um, I suppose you can hear that a lot of stuff. But, but so I just wanted things to always be. The energy and the and the and the the amyl nitrate of it to just completely be rising all the time. Like how so like all these things. And that's so I remember one that's why I wanted to make a record that made me feel like that. And Matt had this beat. And then they came in and three or four intense hours later, of all talking at the same time. So I don't know how it happened. Um it was done and then they left. And then you have that incredible silence when an, art, when an artist like, leaves the room where you're kind of exhausted but but tingling all over because you just said this, um, you know, there's this energy in the room. Um, and then I had to, I had a nap, I think. I think it was really late. I like, we, a lot of the stuff I write is always very late. I then fell asleep because we had sleeping bags. We used to sleep in the studio. We said sleeping bags in the studio. And I fell asleep and then on the ADAT machine, Matt had done a really rough mix of it and he'd got a little post-it and pressed, he'd gone to get a coffee and pressed press play on this mm. post-it. And, I, and that was, I was on my own when I first heard Wannabe in its kind of demo form, which came out, that came out recently as well, the demo, which is very similar. And I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is all right. This is, this is, I remember thinking then it summed up them. This mm. sounds like a sort of, quite punky kind of yeah and, and presumably they had their personalities as well their kind of personas yeah. were sort of almost yeah. fully formed by that point because completely fully formed completely fully formed and their thing about them being different and how they think that was there was nothing contrived about that that's a big thing that's misconceived about them that was there right from the beginning and for mm. me it was so obvious to do even for who sung what they never argued about who sung what yeah. it was always they knew. They knew. I know. I didn't get involved with that. Some sometimes, but they always knew. They delegate who sang what right from the beginning of the song. Oh, you do that. You do that. Do that. It was so easy. 
I love so that. So ridiculously easy to do. Because they just know their own voices and they know what they're yep. going to do and they're just graceful. Their own voices, but also their personalities. So they yeah. knew who should sing that lyric. So if it was a really sweet, cutesy lyric, they knew Emma would sing it because even though she's far from an angel, yeah. <laughs> um, they knew that, that the blonde, the, you know, what yeah. then became baby, that's the bit she just, so they, they were conscious of that really early on, you know. Yeah. I can't stress enough for how it was there at the beginning more. Mm. It was easy. Yeah. You know. Did you have any any inclination what was going to happen? No, I get that's the question, isn't it? No, I, I remember thinking it was really good and I loved it and I loved them. I remember loving them so much I wanted it for them. Mm. I've never wanted it for them more than any other artist I've ever worked for. So they worked so hard and they, and, they, and it was so the vision they had was so crystal clear. I thought, What's, if they get if they get going, if they get a hit, then they're going to fly. I remember thinking that. I think if they get a, a, you know on the first rung of the ladder, then it's going to go. But I didn't think it would go like it like it did. Not at all. Not not at all. And the record label were really insecure about it, so we weren't getting feedback that the record label were that excited. Hmm. So they, they didn't even want, want to be as the single. So we weren't we weren't overly confident at all oh it wasn't at the beginning. they didn't want it as a single they didn't want to be on the album wow it was going to be yeah oh yeah 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 it's only because the band had this such this amazing deal that the the brilliant Simon Fuller got for them that the, the, the Spice Girls had creative control Spice Girls could have really technically legally could have re- released anything as the first single they wanted mm. it's in their contract wow and that's because they had that um I don't think they I don't think they invoked that legally but i think they were like i think maybe fuller was like well they we decide what the singles are i mean how amazing if bands and artists could do that more now yeah. these days use their instinct to what yeah they're the ones on the zeitgeist to their fans it must be so frustrating to be an artist and not be able to release what you know in your gut is the hit record yeah but, yeah but they knew they, they they knew and then and then i guess the rest is history is it just it just went nuts from it then. just just went nuts For all of us so what's your, uh, what is your, so that, it must be quite interesting to go from something like that where you, as you say, it's this full on session, you write these incredible songs. Yeah. What's the next session? What's the second thing? Sec- when- yeah. With them or with another with artist? No, what's the oh, next God. session with them first? I can't remember. Um, as in, what do you, because if, if you do a session where you write Wanna Be and you write, you know, it's like yeah. they then come back and they're presumably. Oh, yeah. So what's uh, that? Mama. For Mama. We wrote, we wrote, we wanted to write because I'd met the mum, two of the mums, and yeah. So Mama was again me wanting. I remember wanting. I pushed for the Mama thing, and I remember with a lot of pop songs, you reach that area of cheese where there's a tipping point. And I remember writing Mama with them, and thinking, and that's all thinking. Maybe I wasn't, but everyone thinking that. Oh, is this just that bit too cheesy? And is mm. it just about to tip? But if you can get it just at the very tip. If you can get write a pop song that's just before it tips over into being too cheesy, then it more often not can be brilliant. And I think I remember I've really got a strong memory of us being a little bit like, oh god, I'm not sure where the matter. But then we maybe the production and what I think we steered it back a little bit from the production point of view and made it a little bit more soulful somehow. I think the gospel quite helped. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, so then we did Mama. Um, if you can't dance is the one that I felt. I remember, remember me and Matt thinking we were so cool because we sampled digital underground for that. Yeah. And we thought it was Mr. Humpty Dance. We thought we were so cool. 
Because you got to remember, we was we were these two pop kids in this tiny studio, tiny tiny studio. Where Matt went to the other day recently, and he said you couldn't believe how small it was. And but I had we had um, Orbital on one side, we had Alexander McQueen on the floor above, just starting off, you know, really young doing designs. We had the Chemical Brothers on the other side, filling in the right down the corridor, with Beatmasters, all like really kind of cool electronic, cutting edge mm. hip kids with me and me and, me and Matt making these pop records and the girls used to rehearse their um, dance routines in the car park and just mm. get out of the fucking get out of the way stop you know <laughs> really irritating everybody god knows what they thought of it to be fair when it all went as big as it did they were all really complimentary and really really lovely mm. about it and they were like okay like the weird pop kids have they've come through they've done alright sort of thing but um yeah and yeah so yeah so if you can't if you can't dance uh yeah that's still one of my my favorites um i can't remember I can't, that's it isn't it yeah i that think that was it that one. i mean that's enough <laughs> do you know what i mean that's enough so you so i kind of so i interrupt you there because i just was getting a bit more spice Girl stuff but obviously so, i was about to say when i said what was the next session after that so you were about to say i can't remember okay. i genuinely because, I mean, just to um, go from, I mean, I suppose actually for a while, Spice Girls, because it happened quite, it all happened yeah. very quickly, didn't it? And I imagine that the, yeah. between album one and album two, there wasn't a huge amount of time. It was once it went, you're on the you're on the treadmill and you just got to keep going. Yeah, I'm just trying to find out just there's something I wanted to, to mention about. There was, um, so this is the thing. When this, this sounds, I'm going to sound a little bit wanky for a second, right? So unless you've done something like this that went as big as that, it's really hard to explain how it affects you and how professionally and personally it affects you. Right? Yeah. Because you've kind of achieved your dream. Because don't forget, it was like number one in America. We had, I mean, everything that we, when me and Matt met, we met at the pub and we wrote three things down on a piece of paper that we wanted to achieve in our lives making music, right? And then we swapped them over, and we've still got them. Um, two of them were never, were never going to happen, <laughs> um, but the other two um, did via the Spice Girls. They were ridiculous dreams, and so we, we achieved everything we wanted really, really quickly. And it's really hard to explain how. I mean, only in recent years, I've got I've come to terms of how it changes your life, really. Mm. Because not only because obviously there's the financial side and stuff that that's that's great and fucks you up in equal measures, and then there's and then just the life experience how it completely changes your life and your personal life and your family life. So let alone being one of them, how it was for them. I mean, just mm. for me and Matt, it completely turns your life upside down, and it's brilliant, but it's also very hard to explain what it's like unless you've been through it really because you 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 know you go to bed at night and then you realize what's going on and you're like what the what is <laughs> that's um takes uh, takes a while to get your head around that is is there sure. a is part of that some sort of worry or fear about oh my god i've got to do it again i've never had that that's one of my things i've never had i've that's never had amazing that's great i've never had fear of 
I, that's the one thing I don't get fear of with music. Never, Brilliant. never have that. I need to have another hit, or I need to do. It. Never. I remember feeling quite pressured on the second album, but I never doubted that we'd be able to do it. Just as, just as a, another thing, I, I was going to remember is um, about this thing when you had this extreme thing happen with something that's really huge. So that Paul Epworth, who did Adele, mm. you know, he was my he was the T boy in our studio. He was my T boy. There you go. <laughs> so there's so many so there's so uh, many i know your face right did you know that i, I didn't know that i didn't know that, that. yeah but, yeah but, yeah but, but i i i do it's there are Strong there are so system. many people that like are you know that that i i kind of it's, these are the sort of stories that only really we can kind of say because you know yeah i always say that about you know people like steve fitzmorris who's sam smith's producer yeah he made course, my yeah. when he was my made my tea as my assistant when I did never forget. It's oh, like, I didn't know that either. There's all this, was you still know, really good looking then as well. Still really good looking. Tom Elmhurst God. was, was one. Yeah. Who used They're to make all really tea. good looking, aren't they? <laughs> it's like Paul Epworth as well. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, God. But these, yeah. But they, but, but they were looking over other people's shoulders <laughs> in the same way as you were looking guess, over people's older shoulders. Well, this is what happened. And I, and I can remember a conversation with Paul Epworth once Adele did it very, very similar to, he was feeling how I was feeling at the time. Yeah. We can't, unless it happens to you, you can't really explain it. And my only advice to him was, and to a few other people that say it, is like use it as the foundation to do what you really love. So it took me a little while, and then I realised like this is going to enable me to do what I want to do and love yeah. for the rest of my life. And I'm literally the luckiest person in the world. It's not even like I'm a fucking footballer that's got to retire at thirty. No. I'm fifty five and I'm still doing the best job in the world. Yeah, that's the thing that messes with you. You can't quite get your head round, and then you feel guilt, and then you feel you feel all kind every emotion imaginable. You you feel about mm. it. You feel proud. I didn't look back and listen to it for for a good twenty years. Right. I didn't spend any of the money for 20, 15, 20 years either. Really, mm. you just feel so messed up by it. But yeah, it's funny that it happened to Paul, and Paul was kind of around when it was happened to me. You know? Yeah, I love um, that. And of course, <laughs> yeah. when you said about the second album, I mean any even slight kind of not worry but concern about you know what will we do it again yeah. must have just no i know but it must have also felt incredibly good when spice up your life happened well that that maybe is yeah i don't know if you know about the spice up your life because i did this is only the second podcast i've done ever actually so i did talk about it recently i think with someone um with larry i think yeah and uh so so spice up your life <laughs> was Whitfield Studios, and I remember three things about Whitfield Studios. Uh, Emma had broken her leg and arrived in plaster. Mel C had a Sean the Sheep rucksack that I really wanted. I was really jealous of it. <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to make a Latin song. I wanted to make a carnival song. Because mm. I, had this, I had this thing about them. Um, um, just, just a Latin record. I just wanted to make this big carnival kind of thing. So I, so I again, started with a drum with, with the drums mm. no chords at that time there wasn't a lot of, there's not a lot of music in spice up your life actually it's just very drum led so a lot of this percussion and uh a programmer called pete there he'd done it and me him and matt sat down and we had that and then they came in and like anything when you work with a big artist like like you do you haven't seen him for ages it's so lovely you have your mm. cup of tea and your gossip and your catch-up you're like fucking know you've done this and you've done this and da, da, da. so you have your little catch-up and then you go right okay you better write a song four hours later we'd written spice up your life 
recorded it around one microphone uh, in at the same time but on five microphones yeah. so I, I had this thing of, of them all singing it at the same time so there was five mics and there were 87s as usual um all lined up they'd sung it we'd done the demo we'd sent the demo to simon fuller and i think within four and a half maybe hours of of starting to write the song simon fuller had run back and said that's your first single off the second album yeah. <laughs> right i get it see it was easy yeah that sounds really silly but it no, no, that, no, but it's... That, that side of it i think because all the other madness going on when you come to do what you do all the other stuff's going on right when you're when you're coming to do what you do which is write a good pop song with people you love mm. easy it's a it's party time but we're off party time five hours later spice it with life in the bag massive relief i think we probably got pissed yeah. Probably we started to write living up for the good times I think then as well. I think on the piano that afternoon. Yeah, and then then and then they started to make the film and it just went nuts. But yeah, yeah. But also I yeah. think the other thing that it's good for people to remember is I mean the, the, the well there's one thing that it's good for people to remember, which is that you know, even actually today with the with the, the, the guys that are doing it now in the big bands, but yeah certainly back then some of those huge bands the uh, the amount of time percentage of time they had to actually do the music bit was the, yeah. was about five percent because 95 percent was everything else so actually when they got yeah. to you and they got into a room it was just this wonderful mm. sanctuary of we can yeah. have fun because the moment it's done this, we're going to be doing everything yeah. else but this this is the other thing because with artists it's their safe place and it's their fun place it's their place where they can be really who they are Hmm. do you know what i mean it's like the times that i've been with men she's been here and i'm sure you've had it and and then she's being picked up to go somewhere or sadly sometimes the press have found that she's at mine or wherever so then she has to become the kylie that you see yeah. the transformation i mean she's beautiful anyway isn't she's gorgeous but then she just becomes this thing and you just forget it's like oh shit you're kylie Blake, the pop star is <laughs> standing there's like bye then i've got to go now but when she's here, she's got a swanchy on and she's got, you know, we kettles on and we're, we're writing our songs. And it's sanctuary, isn't it, for artists? Mm. And for the Spice, can you imagine what it was like for the Spice Girls? Mm. I mean, to a point, they even had their own time zone because they were so global around the world. They had to have their own time zone, the mm. Spice Girls time zone. So when it was so, so o'clock, even no matter what time of day it was in the UK, if it was bedtime, they had to go to bed at then because they were so global. So imagine doing that and then coming back to their mates in the studio to write songs. It was like pure joy. It was yeah. pure joy. Plus, we were so excited to see them because we hadn't seen them before, you know, because they, they, they start off as these kids, 16, 17 year old kids, and then they cut their global superstars. And you're like, this is a bit weird, you know. Because <laughs> they're the same, <laughs> well, it's the same girl. They're literally yeah. like, you know, they still are. So I don't know what the fuck just happened. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I you love know? it. I love weird. that. So you've, as you brought up our, Australian friend what's the yes had what's your first time you first meeting with her how did you what happened first meeting I, I was thinking about this because I knew you'd asked this question I remember thinking she was she was quite nervous as well I think it was in Ireland I'd, I'd moved to Ireland by then and set up the studio there and had this like team and crew and all yes. that you know you know like you do I, was, yeah. I thought I'd give that thing a go I did it for about 10 years but then got just a bit bored of it but all these studios and all this bit of stuff and um yeah and jamie nelson had called me and said that it was honestly the conversation would have gone the lines of like oh i'm thinking about sight the tiny 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 i'm like yes 
I'll do it. <laughs> it was like, yes. Why would I not? And you seem quite surprised because there are quite a few people who were saying I didn't want to, to do mm. it, you know. And I was, before I even finished the sentence, like, of course I do. I'm like a huge fan. And she came over with Jamie, I think, kind of thing. And she came over and walked in the room and then the, my crew were there. And she just, I just remember thinking, oh, God, you're so beautiful. And, uh, and she kind of just worked the room in that charming way that she can, just smiled and everyone just melted. And it was just, it, yeah, I remember I think she was quite nervous because it was quite a big, light years was a big thing to come back. The parlophone thing was a big thing for her. Mm. And I remember the only thing she said to me, which is a brilliant thing, is that she didn't want a double track and she didn't want that vocal sound from PWL. She said yeah. she wants to try everything. She's totally back into one of making pop music, but didn't want a double track in that kind of phased way that PWL recorded records. And that was the only thing that she said. And the rest of it was like, let's just, just it's sort of a sort of a discovery record. Let's just see what happens. I remember hearing, I think that I'd heard spinning around as a demo by then. I think, okay. Is it? And then, and then, lots of time listening to records, and and it and it went from there. Really, it did you was, have oh, that was any, again, Did you have something, a few kind of in the back pocket things, or what? What was the first song you worked on? Oh God, Steve. I don't know. I counted the other day. I've got about three hundred songs with me. Like. Right, um, but I was just thinking for that project. Not from then, but, but no. But you go on my my computer; it's just got everything. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm just thinking probably when. So she's she sometimes because if she's turning up, there's usually that thing of you think, well, I better have. Mind you, saying sometimes yeah. you don't. Sometimes you're it's, no. you're like me; you like to do things pretty much couture like, from in, scratch. Well, I like scratch. to do it with the artist. Well, don't yeah. forget as well, with Carly, I co-wrote stuff with her, which is that's really, what I mean. So that's which, the, yeah. So I was thinking I was one of the very not the first, but I think yeah. I, I always write with everyone. I don't. I hate writing for someone. I don't. I don't understand why. Why would you write yeah. a song for someone? It's weird. But um, I'm just wondering where, if, if you know where the actual song "Light Years" came in that. If that was one of the first things, or <laughs> it, it wouldn't. Blurs. It would have been uh, the song "Light Years" would have been early. Would have been not that earlier on, but it would have been when you get comfortable with her so quickly, don't you? Yeah. So it would have come quite quite soon. Hmm. I remember wanting to write about her being an air steward. There you go. <laughs> This is the so other that's thing. where it started. This is the other thing I was going to mention as well. I think it's really important that people realise that you have a whole vision for these things. Yeah, you, that's yeah. You are yeah, a kind of yeah. You have you're a sort of a creative director on as far as you can see mm. the whole thing. So you're very so really quickly. I, yeah, halfway through. So I might have. So say we might have the the verse pre and chorus down. And then you get the tingle and you get the thing, you go, oh, this is a good one. Mm. So that with Min, and loads of people I write with that will, will listen to this, if they listen to this, and will say, I, the dance moves come, yeah. the visuals come, the screen goes on with photographers. We like it, It's all coming together before the song's even finished. Spice Girls, there were dance routines way before the song finished, mm. and visuals and suggestions of of directors and, and how, like Spice Up in Life, it was all like, oh, we could do the video like this and do it like that. And that that's... For me, that's a really natural thing to do. I don't know why I don't, for me, I don't know why you would just write the song. Because pop to me is such an art. This is getting deep, but I think I think pop music is an art. I think it's really artful. And I think, but when you write a song, you should also be thinking about all of it. Mm. All of it, how it's going to look, the colours it's that are popping up in your head, the, the choreo, the, 
the band where you should tour it. I know with Min, she's she's straight away. You can write a song with Min, and she's thinking straight away how she's going to do it live, mm. which must be a pleasure for you. But but I, sometimes I, I'm literally writing with her, and I'm she's mentioning a live thing, and then I'm thinking of you. I think oh, and then Steve could do that, and we haven't even finished the song. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember doing say something and thinking, I know exactly how Steve will present that. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that weird? But for me, that's really normal in the process. Yeah. Totally normal thing to do. But other people find it really strange. No, no, I think I totally see it. I totally, mm. What do you, um, we're not going to go for everything, but of course this is such a beloved, <laughs> we're such a beloved song. What do you remember about writing Love at First Sight? Love at First Sight was, um, so when again going back to these things when you're you're kind of like a when you're Bertie Big Balls and you have you go through these periods where you're, you're the hot thing, people tend to throw gear at you and give you loads of free stuff, don't you? I don't forgive me for I can't remember the name of the company, but this this height this speaker company just mm. gave me this lent me this enormous pair of enormous pair of speakers for the studio in Ireland, and taller than me, ten foot high took them a day to install them. They're trying to get me to buy them for like 80 grand. Something absolutely ridiculous that I was never going to pay. But I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> they were trying to flog these things. And they set them all up and everything. And it was the week before Min was coming over to start what turned out to be Fever. And it was also, uh, that week was when Discovery was released hmm. by Daft Punk. And I knew she was a fan and I was a fan. And she came for a week. These are in the days when you get to work for a week, two weeks in, in one go with an artist. And we, I think we spent two days listening to Discovery before we wrote anything. And while that was going on, I, I was trying to figure out the filters, how the filters, how, how are they, everybody does with Dark Punk. Like, the, the first thing a producer says with Dark Punk is like, how did they, how did they do that? What are they doing? And I, I had a Sherman filter. Do you remember the Rack Sherman? Yes. I had yeah, yeah. that, and I, re I think that it was doing that. And I didn't realise at the time, listening back, but for a pop record, it was one of the really first, re maybe the I don't know, really early pop records that had a really severe filter on the verse. And it goes mm. into the second end of the chorus, into the second verse. It's really heavily filtered on the on the Sherman built back. And um, so, like a lot of stuff I try and do, I listen to stuff that's left or right or whatever of pop and try and bring it into the pop world. And, and Love at First Sight came from that. And again, that was two or three hours. That was just once we had that backing track that was filtering like mad and it was all ducking and diving and doing its thing and, and, and stuff. We, um, we wrote that pretty quick, yeah. I think the good ones are quite hard to remember how and why they happen. Well, no, I think that, but actually, so, in a way, that's quite good because, as you say, is it? They just there isn't really a story. You just get something. Everyone's in the mm, same thing, and you just yeah. It almost finishes. There's that idea that they're almost existing, and you just they're, they're born anyway. Mm. You've just got to kind of help them yeah. along. Yeah, for me, for me, I think I've mentioned it's my favourite song I've ever done. Yeah, still to this day. It was it was just something about everything that happened before and since. It was just this thing that happened with the person I loved very much and a, a genre of music like Daft Punk, like one of my favourite. It was everything just was just sweet, and we just hit this this seam of writing where it just went and it was there. There it was. Yeah, and, 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 and pretty uh, much and actually, label didn't like that very much either. You know, the label didn't like Love uh, at First Sight very much either. Funny that. <laughs> And then always, Jamie was like, oh, I'm sorry, it's really good. I'm like, thank you. 
yeah. It's there, mm-hmm. there, that, that, yeah, there's always that thing, isn't there? Sometimes you just, you never quite know. But the other thing as well is that on pretty much everything you've done, you're writing it and producing it at the same time. So yeah. the, the, the end, the kind of finished demo is not that a million miles away from what ends up being the finished record. Right? Which again, which again, I think is quite rare as well. I don't, apparently not, yeah, I don't really do one or the other. I don't, sometimes I'll just produce stuff like Susan and stuff. I'll do that because, but that would be out of curiosity for the artist. I'll really want to record a voice and then I'll just produce. But but 95% of the time I'm writing and producing it at the same time, yeah. So I guess, yeah, the demos of Love at First Sight is probably almost identical, really. What's your... Um, talk a bit about your process regarding getting great vocals out of people. What's what's your... What do you, what I don't do, what like vocal booths. Okay. I don't like vocal booths at all, unless the artist asks for it. So, so Liana Lewis... Who I've just been working with again recently, actually, albeit remotely. Um, she likes to be in the vocal booth because she goes into Leona world and she's so unbelievably technical and brilliant at what she does. She has to be in her space to do it. So she'll go in the booth and then if it's a particular ballad thing or something like that, but it's it's in the room. So vocals will be in the room. A lot of vocals are on the handheld, mm-hmm. I'm sure, on the handheld. I like the physicality of recording. So like the times I've got finished vocals from takes where Min's been sitting on my lap or dancing around the room with me have been. I like the physicality of recording vocals, especially if it's up tempo. Mm. So if it's something that's really shifting, then I'll probably be up standing while they're singing that I'm probably standing up with them mm. as well. Do you know, I mean, I'm like a music teacher that people can't see, but I kind of do that <laughs> in my hands and it's all very sign language and all like that. But I do lots of this when they so I tend to sort of almost dance with them when they sing maybe. Mm. with a lot of artists yeah i was with, with, with jay little mix recently and she i'd worked for a long time obviously i was right at the beginning with with little mix and she'd forgotten that's how i done it and she loved it mm. it was just like being in a singing but being in a club with us all so she was as long as everyone else is quiet yeah. <laughs> you can you can get away with it and i quite like the little mistakes and little background noises you get but also that thing about making them you know because i've often said about that that one moment it is just keeping them as comfortable as possible and also yeah, it, so it might just be a moment for, for you guys but actually yeah what the result of that is going to end up being there forever so yeah. whatever they do on that yeah. day they forever. will live with forever yeah forever. So, and that's yeah. so important right <laughs> yeah and then and then we have to live with that forever as well um so, yeah, I mean, there's other artists that I've worked with that do it. So, so Bono does it as well, because I, I was going to suggest it. And he he perform when Bono he performs to you. You know that that's an experience. So when wow. you're recording yeah. Bono, he he has to have an audience. He can't have a be in the booth. So yeah. he'll perform. So he would literally be like there. Uh, that's amazing. Um, you know, lots. You learn a lot from other artists and stuff. And I kind of like. I guess perfected my technique of how I do vocals with them. And long, you've got to have a shit hot engineer though, and you've got to have an Avalon at least. You've got yes. to have a really good, and you've got to have an Ash House or whatever. You've got to have that amazing engineer that that can, um, you know, the, you know the whole thing with the Swan. It's so graceful on top, but underneath everything's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess the they're the engineers of the feet going like shit. How do we get this? But um, I, I I I don't mind a bit of bleed on vocals and stuff like that, as long as the performance is there. 
I'll, exactly. I'll comp a vocal to the performance. I won't comp it to the quality at all. Exactly. And and that's anybody really what we continue fun. to say is, you know, for anyone that's recording now or doing home recording, you know, do not go for technicality. Go for believability. Oh, I'm sure if you listen to the stems of Adele, you'd be staggered by how many pops and pips and yeah. whatever's in there if you listen to them. Because she she's definitely one that just goes for the, for yeah. the tape. Like, does it move Which is you? why she's so brilliant. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, I don't like really brilliant singers. There are exceptions, obviously, like Leona and stuff like that, because we've become friends. But but very, very, very technical singers that can run and trill and stuff like that, I just bore. I get so bored. I, I, I you, You should be able to sing something simply and get that emotion. You shouldn't have to fly around the houses when you sing it, I don't think. Mm personally you um, that might be the pop kid in me saying that <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> um you mentioned little mix there who i very yes. i have on this podcast called the hardest working band in show business um yeah and yeah and, and as 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 all but that came back that kept, sort of came out of your little tenure um in working mm. for tv oh, nice nice seek steve thanks well thanks. done well, how, how how did you're, you, did you're you enjoy really good <laughs> i'm really not sorry love. Okay, i'm not gonna give up my day <laughs> job that was really good how um did you enjoy the how did you enjoy the whole well yeah but not only that the 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 kind of constant mm. tight turnaround of making a saturday night television show did you embrace it you, or? just try and remember whether you might have been on the dark side of it sometimes you might i don't know um no, but, no, well, no but, pretty... but i mean in general was there i mean what i imagine what you would have loved would have been about being around incredible talent oh yeah mean... yeah yeah i mean the whole thing because because i used to go a big thing about I, I hate this kind of postcode thing where if you if you're brought up in a certain place you're or if you live in the right part of london or this or the other then you used to have a better chance of yeah. getting a recording contract to being heard in. so the best thing about x factor is that you can be like like Jaden perry you can be from fucking south shields and be a global superstar that for me is always the best thing about x factor so i'll lay that down first that's why i did it once because mainly because of that because i love the fact that you could be from anywhere and, and you can break through rather than have some kind of locational privilege you know um and I, but i also love the fact that it was a massive challenge and no one else had done it before mm. do you know what i mean so when when simon asked i was like do you know what i'm gonna have a go at this and to be fair i had seen pictures of one direction in particular harry i'd met right, harry and i was go. like right you meet harry stars and with two seconds you're like just yeah, superstar done deal super <laughs> sweet super bright it was just like fucking oh this band's really really good so i was I, I was like yeah let's do it so i started off just doing one direction on on this season that i did i can't remember what season it was 2010 was it um and then loved it uh, you bust the gut though it's hard work and then you get the fix of people judging what you've done i mean back then 15 plus million people mm. are judging what you've done on a saturday mm. night not i'm not loving it every time so you get the, the the highs and lows so you go through what we go through releasing a song or a record over a period of months you go through it in in four days mm. you do it on the tuesday wednesday and then saturday night you find out whether people think it's shit or not so you get that little fix that little dopamine fix of what you do really quickly so that's addictive but exhausting but then again you get that wonderful thing like i did with the spice girls you watch these kids achieve their dreams 
uh, and also not. But if you're lucky, they 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 go on to be superstar. Like One Direction did, you know. Yeah. So it's. I could talk all day about X Factor. It's an interesting one. It's, no, but what's what's interesting about it, I think, is as you say, you took up the challenge. It it, it wasn't yeah. even as simple as I mean. Sometimes you would deliver it on a Wednesday, and then you'd have to completely change it on a Friday or even a Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, even when we One Direction, Simon was so obsessed, you'd do three songs a week for them. So the song they did on Saturday would have been one of three, four productions of. Two, of We'd done. We'd have done two other songs, and then mm. you start the winner singles three or four weeks because they don't know who's going to win. But the winner singles have to be done way before that. So you do winner singles for about seven of them. Mm. So you're ending up doing a winner single for somebody that you're pretty sure is not going to get through the next few weeks. But you still have to do it because you don't know because the yeah. public can change. So you, you go. You go through all the pressure of that, and then Muggins here loved it so much, put his hand up to do all the music for the next season. Yeah. I Right, so then I was involved right from the genesis of all of it. So even to putting the bands together, which is where my connection with Litmix was, was as I helped pick the four girls, put them together. So we we have a bit of a bond, me and those four, because I kind of champion them in particular. To, and yeah. really, the first girl band since Spice Girls, right for you? I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've worked with some of the others, but. But they were the first one that, that I was involved in right from the beginning and, and got to sort of yeah. drop my pearls of wisdom, if that were, if they meant anything so to the them. Two, so pretty much the, them. the two biggest girl bands of the last however many years. It's... Well, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <You're> <laughs> I suppose six, so. Sixth member of one and the fifth member of another. That's not uh, bad. Oh, you know. And I mean, literally <laughs> one was just sitting there the other day, as right. adorable as ever. Jade's just amazing. But they just, yeah. they, they really, really work hard. I think that's the thing that so Incredible. many people see all the years. kind of, yeah, yeah, 10 years yeah. at the moment, yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they'll see all the kind of glossy stuff and the Insta stuff and everything and just think, but, mm. you know, they're grafters, those girls. They're real grafters. And I think I can remember saying to them really early on, is just stay tight, stay really, really tight, keep your secrets, stay tight, have your, have your family, or call them your family have it have that keep it really small and keep it really tight and yeah the, the reason i think they've done so well and sadly jesse's moved on and she's, she's left and stuff but but i mean that was after nine years yeah nearly 10 years um so tight so just it's so great to see a band do that and still are it's um that's the secret isn't it Graft it is. and, and, and trusting each other and being like a little family there's also um, there's two sides to them, and I and I, I'll fanboy slightly on this because there's one of my favourite songs you've ever worked on is a song called "These Four Walls." Oh, thank you. Mix. Oh yeah, there's a good story about that one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like that that song. God, that was a tough day. Oh, blimey! But it's it just you know it all all of a sudden just shone a different light on them in in a you know and it was a, a yeah. song that, it's such a an important song I think considering their fan base. It was going to be a single, and then I think because of the nature of the song, it wasn't. I know they did it on TV, TVs and stuff a few times, and then they were about to do it as a single, and then something else happened. But, but yeah, no, they they came in and they wanted to. I think I, these weren't the actual words, but it was along the lines of, "We want to do something like a We want to do what you know, one of those songy songs. We want to mm. properly." And I'm like, if, you know, you know, if you want to do that, you got, you got, you kind of got to go there. You've got to emotionally. You don't just listen to a beat that I might throw at you, or we're not just going to put on Spotify. We've, we've got to go and sit somewhere like that. And um, there's like, let's just let's do a day date. There's with Chasnay Lewis. I wrote that with mm. me and Chasnay, and then um, 
And um, so we, we went into the other studio next door with like a garden studio, you know, more relaxed room, sofas and shit. And um, they were like, oh, what are we going to write about? I said, boy, we need to, we need to find that initial thing. Let's make this write a ballad. Let's write something like that. And it was a day, it was a very sad day because, the, I mean, they said they wanted to go there. So, you know, I was like, right, let's go there. And it was a day that I think, I can't remember his name. I think it was Rigby. It was that awful thing that happened where that soldier had, had been beheaded yeah. in the street. That was all in the news. It was the day after. And uh, and I and I said, well, let's just write about how his wife must be feeling. And that's literally, wow. literally what it's about. They're heavy, right? Mm. And um, and they looked at me, and I remember <laughs> two of them started crying really quick because I was going, this. Let's talk about how she must be feeling. And this these four walls came because it mentions all stuff about on the bed, and you turn around, and you're mm. not there, and I can still smell mm. you on the sheets and stuff like that. And um. And, and we wrote about how these these four walls about this woman repeatedly over the however many. I, I mean, I'm saying this. I don't know whether this woman knows this actually, but um, his wife knows this. But we, the song is about how she must have been feeling day after day after after losing someone she loves so much. And it's these four walls is that she just wakes up to those walls. Those wow. four walls. There you go. Yeah, that's what it's about. I mean, I mean, it morphed from there, but that's essentially what it's about, and that's the emotion that I sparked the song with, and it is about that. But then other stuff, maybe if you read the lyrics, now you'd be like, "Well, that's not well, it's not." But this is the the how it started and where the emotion and the spark of what I wanted to write about. And boy, oh boy, were they exhausted by the end of that day. They were knackered. They loved it. They still tell me they loved the song, but they were they were really like, "Okay, that's that's." It's, you know, those kind of songs they take out of you. I mean, I can't do them all the time. No, no, you, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, you're blessed with four, you know, really, really great vocalists in that band as well. And they, you know, they all have incredible strengths. Yeah, exactly. They have incredible tones, don't they? So they, they, they can just sing certain lines that can just make it. And I love the way, the fact that their voices have just got better and better. Yeah. And stuff and I mean Jay was here recently we've been doing stuff and she just sort of does a guide down you think that's okay and then she records it properly and you're just like fucking hell <laughs> god she can sing <laughs> it's so good there was a, really a, really good and Perry's uh, just ridiculous and still thinks she isn't but she's still like got the most amazing voice oh Christina isn't it I mean she they did yeah, a, a yeah, really lovely on their talent show which I really enjoyed actually when they yeah, did their little too. talent show thing um, they did a, one of the finals, they did an acoustic version of Secret Love Song and, you know, live mm, vocals. That's the other great just, song And for me. every single one song. of them, every single one of them was on point. I mean, yeah. and also they take, yeah. the one great thing about them as well is they really take time to learn all their harmonies. So it's not just about yeah. the leads. Fantastic. You can, yeah, no, you can no. hear them in a radio to a little live lounge yeah. thing. And there's only four of yeah. them and all the harmonies are there. Like Leanne's amazing the way she comes in with all these different so tones good. and stuff like that. Such a good singer. So good. So good. So, I'm so excited for all. I think they're all doing the solo record. Might have to cut that out, but as far as I know, you they might are. have to cut that out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're, maybe. They're just doing this 10 thing. Yeah. But, um, cut. I'll, I'll, I'll cut. Yeah. So I can go back to that. Um, talking to amazing singers. Uh, obviously, you've mentioned Leona already. Um, yes. Uh, again, one of the most difficult things to do. Everyone seems to think it's really, really easy to write a big Christmas record. It is not. Yeah. It's easy to make. It's easy to write a not very good Christmas record that's nearly like something yeah. else. Um, yeah. Did you just really accept the challenge and just go? We're going to just smash this out. 
I've had the title of One More Sleep for about seven years. Really? I've got titles. Yeah, yeah, I've got a book of titles in it that okay. I've had. That, that, and wow. Sometimes there's titles. Yeah, I've got my. When you come down next, I'll show you because I've got. So, so I've got one, and a lot of other writers were saying for four or five years ago, I, I was telling everybody, I want to write a song called Feels. I want to write a song called Feels. We've got to write a song called Feels. And then Calvin dropped Feels, yeah, yeah. right? That amazing. So I've got so many song titles that have then gone on to right. be massive. That's really frustrates me. But then again, but I'd had one more sleep for for ages. I had what took you so long for ages. I had that written on my hand. I had that oh, written right. on my hand. For Emma, yeah. So yeah. Um, no, I'd had one more sleep for a long, long time. And then I remember telling in James and 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 Brad and everything in the room that let's that I want to write a song about this and and. Uh, yeah, and and it's that thing about that thing about not going to just that finding that the zenith where it just before it overtips into being too cheesy, you've got to find that little sweet spot where it, mm. where it's it's still credible, but it's also super pop. You've got to be a bit fearless doing Christmas songs. But you no. you managed to do that thing that you know. Well, firstly, I mean, the first time I heard it, I just thought, well, that's it's one of those "Unbreak My Heart" titles. You're just like, how was how have I never thought of that title before? Yeah, because everybody guess, says it every more every Christmas. One more sleep. Like, yeah, no one's written the yeah. song. No, that's why I had the title. I've got lots of things. I'll show you the book. That's yeah, lots of things like that. So that's amazing. And just you know, obviously, it was perfect for her. And you've managed to do that thing where you've written a song, one of those Christmas songs that is now just a standard. So it goes out every yeah, year, the it. same as Mariah, the same as everything else. It's it's there. Mm. It's on all those playlists. It's on all those albums. Yeah. And gets bigger every year, which amazes me. So that's yeah. probably the only thing I do that I like to monitor because we I sit with my hubby Pat and we we go through, that's the one thing that we look at is the, the Spotify things because obviously as it gets to being one more sleep, mm. you, you see it sort of getting a bit and then when it gets to that one more night, it just goes up on the on the air. But it just I just think it's fascinating to watch the how people play it so much on the, on Christmas Eve. So I think I've got to write one about Christmas Day because it kind of peaks at midnight that night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I'm really proud of that song, yeah. No, it, it's really great. And, and, and massive it, props to her to sing it. It's quite a pop song for Leander to sing that. Yeah, but she's she smashed it. And a also, really good job. Also, oh, yeah, God damn. It was a, it was a, it's a really great record, really great album. And, and, you know, encouraging her as well to, you know, to do something like the version of Abba Maria that she does on that record as well. Yeah, as, God, that was amazing. That was recorded in the booth there. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that, that was, God, that was, I knew she could do stuff like that, but that that's possibly... That could be one of the best vocals I've ever done. We called mm, it. Actually. I agree. When you listen back to that, yeah, that was a, that was a really good day. That I can't believe how she sung that. It's such a. I describe it as a sort of a real privilege when you're around her because you yeah. know I I yeah I we did worked it a, it together, didn't we? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I yeah. did a bit of it when, with the tour and stuff, and and it's still you get quite complacent about what she can do, but then yeah, it just creeps yeah. up on you without you realizing. <laughs> So when you do a whole album, you have this whole bunch of songs and you know she's speaking them out and stuff like that. And she she, she came and stayed in there being in Brighton in this really that really hot summer that we had that time. And um she'd drive over and she'd come in Sundays and just wasn't wasn't just wasn't there and she just mm. wasn't in the headspace or just wasn't feeling it. And you get a little bit nervous and everything, and then she'd come in two days later and sing three of them brilliantly in one take, mm. done. Mm. Like that. She might change a few bits, tiny bits, but like I mean, it's just that I've never worked with a singer like that before. Just, just the next level for me. Well, world yeah. class, absolutely world class. And of course, mm. we can't let Christmas go without reminding ourselves of that little 
hot August day when you were donning, oh, yes. a, you were donning a turkey hat. <laughs> I was. Was it one of Pat's hats? One of Pat's mm, hats. Pat hats. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful husband Pat has uh, a variety of hats, especially festive hats, and um, you know, and I and I and I did actually tell the story recently, but I mean, yeah, there was a just for for Kylie Christmas, and um, it was just mm. this weird song with hundred degrees, which I still to this day say it was one of those things that. When people ask me how that thing happened, I am the same as you. I can't. I just know that there was an idea, and then something happened. I can remember. I tell you what. I can. Re I can remember about that, which is probably what my role in the song was. Was me going. Well, I remember saying to it, wasn't it? Did you ever have Christmas days when it was like really, really hot? And I think yeah, me and Daniel said, "Yeah, yeah. be a hundred degrees." I said, "Let's." There you go. That's your title. Go, and then, that's then it. it was done. And then, yeah. and, as, and I said it was, I think I've said it before, it's, it's very much like we did that. And then I remember, because we were all staying at, at your house and I remember sneaking, yeah. I get up early in the morning. I remember sneaking down in the morning and just trying to kind of put some rough <laughs> idea together, this kind of mad intro. Um, and then there was a little vocal on it I done in the, the room intro. as always. And then mm -hmm. someone says, oh, you should sing this with your sister. And it, and cut to four months later and they're doing it live at the, on stage at the Abbott Hall. Which is still one of the greatest live <laughs> Minogue moments of all time, right? Yeah. I still, I still get really emotional when I watch that. That was one of my the greatest concerts I've ever been to. The first, the first one, yeah, the first. Yeah, the first album went yeah, down. Yeah. Went down was, was there, and no was one knew. Just that was just. Yeah, yeah. even the family didn't know. <laughs> There's a really good. I didn't uh, know. Yeah, no, yeah. I think, I think Ian Masterson's eyebrow went up, but that still didn't <laughs> confirm it. Because I saw him outside and now an eyebrow did a thing. And I was like, oh, I wonder. But even I, she, I had no idea. So I was part of that like <gasps> thing. Like I love the audience shots on that. The audience shots of the inside that in the Albert Hall when she they realise that she's there is so it's just legendary. The, that the, the roof what a night that was. The roof lifted off hundred percent. Oh god, yeah. Um yeah. Another live moment for you. I mean, you've spoken to me about <laughs> it, but just mm. seeing the Spice Girls back at Wembley Stadium. I thought you were going to say love at first sight, Glastonbury. Actually, well, okay, we'll go. <laughs> well, that. I mean, I've you know when you say when you very kindly say you you know you think about how I do things. You know, there was we just wanted to mm. give that a herald that with a symphony, yeah. basically. So. Oh. And it's, it's and actually amazing. what everyone remembers about that, which I think is so cool, is just the look on her face when it turns when she turns around. I, I texted her that night and like with a still of it, and I said, "I've never seen you pull this face before," and she just sent back, "Me neither, and I never will again." It was just like, I said, ne "I've known you for all this time. I've never seen that face, never no. that expression." No, and she said, "I don't know what it is. I, I can't even pull it if I try," which is so brilliant, isn't it? What a day. That was so just like that, that, to, that, for her to do that and to open up with a, that song, my favourite song I've done. That was just yeah. like I could just die happy now. I oh, know it, it, it was great, but again, as you say, as well, seeing your girls back at Wembley yeah, Stadium, yeah, no, that's that was beyond. You, that was that was beyond. I, yeah, lost, lost. What I've gone on all this time, I'm actually lost for words talking about how that felt because I've seen a lot. I've seen them a lot afterwards, and they felt the same way. It was a real emotional, a real emotional thing to because it kind of, you know, there's so many concerts and bands that i've seen it's like oh the ballad's on i'm gonna go for a wee mm. here comes the ballad. i've never been to a gig where well all the songs but where the ballads are the key 
that hole in the kids. It was like the wrong way round. So we had the party stuff and we had all the up-tempo stuff that people go mental for. But there's something about the ballads. I've never been to a gig. Maybe when Robbie does Angels, mm. but I've never been to a gig where the ballads, where people are going for a wee and the up-tempo mm. right? It's just the wrong, wrong way around. That, that initially was the first thing that got me really like, what the fuck is going on here? Also, it was 80% women just off their face just that which I just thought was incredible. Um they did this amazing thing of giving giving me and Pat the um the Queen and Prince Philip seats in the Royal Box, which brilliant. is really like, right at the front. Which is really so that was really, really moving. And then there's just you know, you can imagine on the last night all the, who was there and all this kind of stuff. It was just like yeah, a night I'll, I'll never remember, but I think the highlight Oh, they did this beautiful shout out for me, which was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think people thought Victoria was in the audience, but it was <laughs> me. That was a bit of it. Oh. But um, that was so lovely that they did that. And, and for some reason, the, the moment for me was this Viva Forever, I think. There's something mm. about really theory about their performance of Viva Forever and the arrangement and the way that it, they, they performed it and where it was in the set and everything. That was the moment where I just cried all the way through and a few people were like, you're right. And I'm like, Pat's like, yeah, he's fine. Just leave my alone. So I was just standing there, just yeah, cry my eyes out. So, plus it's ninety thousand people singing a song you wrote, singing every word, yeah, every word of it, every single word, full voice to 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 every song you've written with them. Yeah, this I can't explain how that feels. <laughs> making me laugh. It's making me feel really. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah, it's such it's an ex- amazing, extraordinary feeling. Yeah, yeah, beyond grateful. I mean, things like you, you know. I can't even explain how humbling it feels. How grateful that you know. Absolutely no, and you and you should do, <laughs> and you, and you should do. But you yeah. have, you once said, you know, to me, and I think you've said a few times, you know, you, every artist you work with, you've got to fall a little bit in love with, because yeah. you need it. You want things for them. Was what you said, and I think you've that's got so to at least true. try it. Yeah, it is try. I mean. I, the, the, the name won't mean anything, so I mentioned it. But I've met I've met an artist recently where something very similar happened, and we wrote something really brilliant. I, and I know it's because we kind of had a little love affair before we wrote it, and they're coming down soon and stuff. But unless yeah, unless I luck out and and do something good without that, I, I need that. I need to be nourished by the love of that artist and that person that I'm with. And I think it's because from 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 my childhood. It was a bit not loveless, but it was quite bad in places like that. So I have, I have so much love to give, I guess. So when I write a song, I kind of that's how I express myself. It has to be a very intimate thing. So it has mm. to be real. It has to be whether it's really happy or whatever. It has to come from a real genuine place. And to get that, you have to know and trust the person really well, don't you? So I guess it's there has to be a bit of a love affair with them. So it's yeah. great. And then you remain, remain friends with them for ages, which is also a really nice thing. Like, Will, how proud am I of Will Young at the moment for that album? Yeah, it's like stunning. After everything Will's gone through, yeah, I've known Will again right from the beginning of his career and, and so proud and proud of him and this strength to, to make that record and to be, to be doing so well. Mm. It's kind of what you, why I do what I do now. It's just to see stuff like that happen. It's yeah, just brilliant. Definitely, definitely. Great record as well. Him and Richard X together is like really. Oh, it's brilliant, and that's and, their sweet spot, isn't it? Oh. yeah, and actually just being able to um, to spend so much time routining so many songs to just get yeah. exactly the right yeah. ones. 
and, yeah. and really put such an incredible spin on like the, the yeah. his version of strong I thought is just unbelievable I, I thought that and I also and then he did Elizabeth Taylor which for me is one of the best yes. songs I've written in the last 10 years so yeah. he did he, he even ends it with a cover of that it's like beyond tasteful the yeah. choices and Daniel which again is one of my favourites but yeah it's, it's so good so, so keeping brilliant. us up, up to date and bringing us right up to date I mean I do remember mm. It's really tough with you when you sort of say, you know, someone says, oh, what's your favourite thing Biff wrote? It's just like, well, this is like, you know, this is so, so hard to kind of come up with something <laughs> like that. But I do remember the first, exactly where I was when I heard, uh, I plugged my ear pods into a phone and I heard the lyric, uh, uh, love is love, it never ends, can we all be as one again? Yeah. And the funny thing about it is, is it was way, 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 way before any of mm. what's happened in the last year and a half. It was almost yeah. one of the first. Oh, I yeah. Remember, I remember hearing say something the first time, and I remember just saying, that's, I think I actually said, that's your Glastonbury kind of moment. That's mm. your massive song. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the spirituality behind that song is absolutely immense. I, I, mm. You must be so proud of that. Yeah, and, and again, that was written that towards the end of a session with John Green, so that was an ash. That was written towards the end of a few days sessions. It was the last few hours of a session where we were just sort of we were jamming, really. I think the Moog was on with the bass line. John did that sort of the bass line. And then we wrote it quite quickly. And I remember calling Min in the she was in the car on the way back to London. It really made me that song still really makes me cry. Yeah, me too. I really cry. And um she'd done the Love is Love bit, which I've got I've got a little book here. Oh yeah! Oh nice! And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, she had done that, but hadn't really expanded on it. And I, I really wanted to. And I said, "Have we just written something really special?" And she goes, "Yeah, I just listened to the demo because I always give her the demos to take straight away, the roughs." And she goes, "It's making me cry." So it's really making me cry. So we need to sort of, we need to take it, we need to take that to church almost that <laughs> outro. And mm. that's why the arrangement is that that certain way because I really wanted to make a special thing of that. Mm. that that bit and it, yeah it was just an, an emotional moment i think i think I, it was it, i think she was about to do pride or something like that so i think i was trying to maybe do push hard to write something especially for pride mm. so i think it, it might have started off the idea to write something one-off song or something exclusively just for pride bright and pride uh and then and then it became something else and became something so poignant for the times didn't it that, it really uh, did that we just never knew it was going to happen so and 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 it's yeah, and it, who knew then, but it kicked off this phenomenon called disco. Disco, exactly. <laughs> it was just so much fun. I mean, half written, half written in this room with her, and half written remotely. Yeah. Um. So, and obviously, then me and Duck and stuff were, were we're partly responsible for teaching her to record her own vocals as well, which she which just is really. Oh God. The, the typical Minogue yeah. fashion started off with, on Garage Band with like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, oh, I, I really don't know what. I'm doing. And then two weeks later, you know, color coded yeah. Logic vocals. These are my BVs in this color. This is a, and all sounding amazing and brilliant. It's like so, fast. and I think that's one of the, one of the really good thing for her to learn that she can record her own vocals now and quite rightly get the credit for it because there's so many bits you write we can write a song and then i think oh, if only it had that because normally we, we agree on the bits that need changing or rewritten she can just do it at home or wherever she is and ping it down to me and it's done and i'd mm. rather be in the room with her mm. but but um but that, yeah what what a great 
what a great thing that she can do now. She's got so, so better than me now. Better edit. <laughs> I can't edit as well as her. <laughs> well, she knows her own voice. So she, yeah. knows, otherwise I'm, I'm trying to second guess the takes. She knows what she likes. She knows best, it, so yeah. She just does it quicker than me. She so, always, always understands the assignment and she always smashes yeah, it. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's so an that, absolute pleasure. Yeah, I mean, this disco was such an incredible success and such a joyful record, mm. and and coming yeah. at a time when everybody really needed it, um, really helped me, really helped me get through <laughs> it because I, a, I had that to do, and also the the nature of the music. I'm sure it became so joyous and so up tempo because of because of it because we we're only halfway through it really, mm. and then and then I think you know something like dance or die i'm sure they were they're a product of lockdown that people just wanted to have a party in their heads really yeah so i think that's why the records came out so full of energy just trying to cheer ourselves up let alone the, the fans well so. yeah <laughs> and and also you've you're a massive advocate you know in your words you know write yourself happy that's your kind of mo- this is the motive thing. and this is the thing, you know yeah. after various things that you know had gone on with you in in around that time mm. you know you you that's that was almost must have been a therapy just to just yeah, it's like my post heart yeah heart attack record was two years last wednesday actually so my heart attack and uh so i've been i've been on a mission ever since to sort of write myself even more even happier <laughs> which i've done right from a kid to be honest from a kid i've always done that but but yeah it, it, it feels like a post heart attack record of just been completely in love with life yeah I'm, I'm more in love with life than i've ever been in my life now so yeah definitely a reaction to it definitely a reaction and i think she got that for me as well i think she got that vibe for me as well that that having a near-death thing you know yeah is um you know we, something we both can we both understand yeah so we and wrote it, about it and it and it worked so well on the on the live stream as well on the infinite disco live stream a lot of people have said that that's just the, the kind of they must feel the warmth exude from the the screen on that yeah it's still i still i very rarely i guess maybe you do because you've done that you've been saying but i i don't always watch a lot of stuff that i've done but i still watch that on repeat mm. i still watch that you luckily sent me a copy but it's um it's, yeah, you should be very proud of that, Steve. It's fantastic. I listen. Well, I think well, it was a job we did it. We, yeah, no, we did it together. We all did it together. It's a, it's a, it was a tonic, I think, at, at the time. Plus, it really was. It was, a, it was yeah. a real tonic. Plus, you're obviously back with the wonderful Mel C for that incredible record yes. you made together. That was fun. That was at the same time as well. That 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 was a lot of fun to make. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we're all mean Mel. It's like with 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 men, we're all writing songs, whether they're for an album or whatever they're for. I've been mm. writing with Mel anyway, so yeah, we, 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 we've we've been doing a lot again this year, and that album was great. I really like that record, Mel's last album. That was fun yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, well, the, I suppose the question is, mm. when when is the Biffcatec going to happen? Oh, Steve. <laughs> is this how we're ending with that yeah i mean so for everybody that doesn't know there's been this album for years and years and years called the bifkatech <laughs> which is which yeah and the reason for doing it now is jam and lewis have just made a record they have i've heard about this yeah not that i'm in that league come on so you know so, i know i know what you mean i know what you mean <laughs> um, i mean i've kind of got half of it i've got half of it done really because some of it are with artists that have just said yeah use that song so yeah I'd probably re- revamp it. I've got this idea of, the, I, I, 
the thing I want to do is the first track is I, I want to record everyone that I've ever recorded laughing at the beginning. I've got this weird idea of this track. Love it. Yeah, this weird dance track with everyone. So I, I'd, I'd probably have to start with kind of getting people to, <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but because there's some, you know how much laughter there is when you're mm. in the website. But I kind of want to represent that somehow. So I've got, I've got it in my head what to do, but it's a big, it's a big undertaking to do. But, 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 but as a few people said, it's probably half done already, really. Yeah. I think half the songs are done already. But I want to get some new kids on it as well. I want to work with people that, I've never worked with before. And also people that haven't sung for ages. I mean, I'd love Brian Harvey to sing on something. That'd be amazing. Do you know what I mean? If we could try and get like, you know, and play about with the genres. I I hope she's listening because I really want to do a disco record with Gabrielle as well. It's it's just unfinished business that I've never got on a proper disco Disco record. record. So I'd like to get her, I'd like to get Gabrielle on that. I'd like Will Young to sing head voice and do like a Sylvester thing. I've got it all in my head what I, I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's how we'll 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 see. Whether anyone would listen I don't know. Would people list, want to listen to it? I don't know. Of course they would. Is there are there any know. um any voices on your wish list that you've you've never got around to working? Some with? yeah, obviously the Robin is the one Robin obviously, who's on everyone's, isn't she? She's um I've been reading a lot about her recently. Yeah, I'm, I think she's due a record soon. I think. I'd love to work with her. I think she's an amazing writer and artist. Um, and all the usual ones, Kate Bush and all that. But, but okay. Then, you know, I'm scanning, you know, all the usual ones it would do. Charlie XCX would be good. There's some that, there's some that I've heard that they hear they're kind of fans of mine that you think will then come down. I know Charlie likes a lot of stuff I've done, so that would be interesting. Maybe that, I think it's nearly happened a few times. That would be good. Um yeah, I mean, all, I, yeah, if I like the voice, then I'm in, really. You've been around so many incredible musicians and artists and stuff. I mean, you do still obviously work around established people and new people. Um, what mm. is your, if for want of a better word, advice for up-and-coming artists now? Have you got something <sighs> that you can suggest to don't them? Write to, don't write to spec. <laughs> yes, that's a really good one. Uh, I, I never write to spec, ever, ever. Um, I, I think it's really important that if you are going to get signed, if you get stuff like to, to, to remember musically why you were signed and don't let what you've done be morphed into something that it isn't because so many things are the hottest thing around and they sound amazing. And then they go through this weird process of a label and then they're spat out the other side. They sound nothing like why they were signed in the first place. And everybody's wondering why it isn't here. Um, that's not so much advice, more like how the industry can be, but it's that there are young artists that, would, that should be aware of that. They should really stick to your guns. I think that's really appealing to the A&R people, even if they might be angry with you at first. If you're, before, if you're not signed, if you're coming out, I think it's just to find your voice, find your unique sound. Don't get hung up about being cool because it changes every fucking two weeks. Every it changes. Don't get hung up on trying to, sound like what you're hearing on the radio and also don't make records that your mates think are good which is really irritating make records for the world make it global think really big don't make a record just because your mates are like it in the car or you'll look cool to your mum just do what you believe is right and make it for the world because I did and look what happened that's <laughs> <laughs> never thought it would happen to me do you know what I mean and I did it and next thing I know bloody hell so that, it can happen. That is good. That's good advice for everyone else. What do you give? What advice do you <laughs> give um, eighteen-year-old Biff? 
Um, oh, I, don't, I don't really have any regrets, really. Um, so probably delete the, There's a, probably a lot of numbers I should have deleted from my phone. <laughs> 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 I would have done that. Uh, I would have said perhaps um, n- n- not go for the weight I did at the, the British Powerlifting Championships that gave me my heart attack. <laughs> But you were trying to be so healthy. Probably, I was trying to be healthy because I was sat in the studio all the time. I got obsessed with with lifting things too heavy, and and it and it got a bit carried away. So yeah, I mean, maybe try and find a kind of nutritional balance <laughs> with food and with life. I don't know. But I love I'd, that. I'd just, I'd just say enjoy. It. I, actually, I will tell you what I would say on a serious yeah. note is is enjoy the moment when it's happening and make memories and. Yeah. And, and stay as sober as possible because otherwise you'll forget the really good shit. That's yeah. what I'd say. Because there's like some that. things I just can't really remember, which upsets <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much for chatting to me today. Uh, it's, as Absolute always, it's so lovely to see you and looking so, as always, smiley, happy, healthy. Thank you. And loving yeah, music. Yeah, things are good at the moment. Always I love it more than music. ever. Yeah. More than ever, mate. I mean, as soon as we go now, I'll just be putting something else on, pressing random on. Spotify, see what comes up. Have a jig around the room. Have a little dance. Have a little dance. That's what <laughs> yeah, we like. man. That's what we right. Like. Wicked. All, All right. right. Thanks a lot. And I'll, uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Always welcome, Steve. Lots of love. Thank see you. you later, mate.